It's Guild Ball Tonight, your independent source for Guild Ball news, information, and conversation. Episode 48, November 1st, 2016. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Guild Ball Tonight podcast. Now, I am your host, Phil, and I am joined once again and as nearly always by our esteemed and uh, not yet estranged uh, co-host, Bill. How you doing there, Bill? Esteemed and estranged. I not like yet. That. Not yet estranged. Not yet estranged. Okay. <laughs> that's that's fair. I was going for alliteration. So, I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're using words that I'm going to have to look up soon. So, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll use a real dictionary, not the urban dictionary like I have to in the interviews later. <laughs> Yeah, there's some of that. So anyway, um, so what are we going to talk about on the uh, on the big show tonight? So we are going to do some some news, uh, all the news that's fit the podcast. Uh, we are going to follow that up with uh, a couple of interviews. First of all, we have Matt Hart because this is, after all, a podcast, and every podcast is an interview with Matt Hart, and. Uh, we uh, we are talking about uh, some design philosophy, which is a uh, always an enlightening conversation. And then following that, we have a, an impromptu interview of sorts with uh, Chris Rudder from Who Cares Who Wins, who is going to tell everybody all the things I do wrong when I paint. <laughs> so that's always good. And then lots of other uh, interesting life lessons along the way. Uh, following that, we are going to, of course, get to our uh, our signature Twitter questions. Uh, we did invent that, I assure you. Um, and those will will come along at the uh, at the end of the show, which is generally where they do show up. So you you realize, Phil, that you um, know the little bit I've heard about your interview with Matt. Everybody should just shut off now because they're all, everybody is expecting spoilers. Ah, uh, there's no spoilers. Because that's what Matt does. I mean... No, we don't how, do spoilers. <laughs> spoilers are for people who need attention. Uh, so uh. anyway, uh, <laughs> let's, get on with the, uh, let's get on with the show here. So... Uh, uh, Phil, making friends, making friends. <laughs> I don't need friends. I got you and Rudder. I'd be there okay with just Rudder. Okay, so... <laughs> so wow. Uh, no, no. Not yet a strange. Not yet a strange, but we're going to work <laughs> on it before the end of the show. So, uh, so what do we got going on? I hear that there's a, uh, there's a civil war, uh, and, uh, it's not even election day. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, what, what's going on with the butchers? I really think they should have launched this closer to November 8th. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I know they're a British, you know, but they already missed Brexit. They didn't launch it at Brexit. Yeah, so they yeah. should have at least waited for the next one. I understand. So, uh, yeah, so there is a worldwide uh, event that uh, started uh, started today, in fact, yep. to determine the future of the Butcher's Guild leadership, apparently. Or at least uh, the future of the Butcher's Guild storyline. And we have, uh, we basically have the, the story unfolding of a power struggle between... Uh, our favorite uh, butcher, uh, Brisket, 
and uh, recent uh, leadership usurper uh, Fillet, who has decided to uh, come in and assert herself, did, sort of against. Did you the, really uh, say Fillet? I said Fillet. What do you want me to say, Fillet? <laughs> fillet. 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 Say, uh, I've given up even on trying to remember which one of those pronunciations pisses people <laughs> off. So, Phil, have you ever been involved in one of these worldwide story campaigns before? I have, and I will tell you that they are a lot of fun. So, the the place where I've done it before. Now, I know that the that uh, I, I guess that there there have been some Games Workshop uh, story campaigns like this in the past that I can remember happening. But the ones that I have been that I've been involved in were actually with Flames of War. Uh, the the community based around uh, the WWPD podcast mounted some really exceptional uh, sort of international campaign events, uh, which work sort of like this. You would play you would play a game featuring you know uh, an, an Axis army versus an Allied army, and then you would. Uh, record your results into a, an online form, and then it would it would influence the outcome of sort of a risk style map. Hmm. And it was uh, they were a lot of fun, um, you know, a lot of back and forth, and people, you know, struggling to uh, to get their side over, and uh, you know, neat historically based sort of what if scenarios like the the one that uh, I remember immediately was the Operation Sea Lion campaign, which is the the planned but never executed invasion of the uh, the British Isles by uh, by okay. the Germans. So uh, the yeah these 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 events are a lot of fun, and uh, I am I am certainly looking forward to seeing what what Steamforge is able to. To do with it, it's clear that they are already uh, they're already offering up some some fluff based on the uh, uh, based on the campaign. Which I mean, I don't think we're reading too much into the identity of the individual who uh, who is featured in that first story, are we? To uh, to say that maybe somebody's not yeah, quite dead yet. Yeah, I, it's he's definitely got his Monty Python moment. <laughs> So. I mean, he might not be around much longer, but he's not <laughs> dead yet. So we'll see what he has to say at the end of the show. Yeah, uh, I'll, be, I'll be interested to see how this goes. Yeah. I was involved in doing a um, uh, uh, sort of in sync podcast for um, one of Justin the campaigns. Yes, for just now, uh, for one of the campaigns that Malifaux did years ago. And, uh, you know, that the, it was a story driven uh, where they looked at the number of games played and then different parts of the city of Malifaux got, uh, you know, had different things happening. They released some teasers uh, throughout and it was kind of a kind of a cool idea. And uh, I, I, am ex- I, I am excited. They are very cool at the same time. I'll be interested to see how much influence one way or the other things go. I think that's the hardest thing for uh, a company to do is you kind of want to pick the path and you don't want the outcomes to be so wildly out of bounds that you have to adjust uh, major things in your world. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, you want to leave enough room that players feel that they can actually influence what's going on. Mm 
Yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see how the because of course you don't just have to play butchers in this. You can play as any team against any team. And so I'll right. be curious to see if some of that data collection as to like which guilds are used most often and which guilds win most often kind of works itself into the story. I think that that's uh, something that they could certainly achieve and it would be neat to, I think that's kind of how people who aren't, you know, just strictly playing butchers can, can feel like they're involved in something more than just the win loss record for uh, team brisket because, you know, there's really only team brisket. Uh, whether you like it or not so uh i i'm not arguing i, I mean i i am i am very much a fan of vast tracks of land even though she seems to have gotten a uh, a reduction in yeah. her veteran form <clears throat> there was a lot of knife work involved in that uh in I, that is true so. that is that is very true so uh so yeah so get on that that's at uh that's at the website and that's you know uh, steamforge.com uh, slash butcher dash civil dash war although there are links available on your favorite social media platform uh, mine being um, <laughs> well see my favorite social media platform is probably um, single player solitaire single uh, player solitaire <laughs> okay okay I thought you were going to go with you know AOL messenger uh, no, no, mine, my favorite was um <laughs> Uh, a telnet uh, into a nice. Pico editor to run a uh, script to launch a uh, RC session. Uh, <laughs> Damn coders! <laughs> that was uh, that was the mid nineties. Need, need to find Jonathan Colton's Code Monkey song here somewhere. <laughs> Hey, Phil, we have some new models. Yeah, so there's some new models. Uh, yeah, and not uh, and for for a change, they're not models that were in a rule book that we got six months ago. That is true. Uh, so we got a uh, we've got some new pre-orders in the uh, in the Steamforge store. Uh, three to be exact. One of which is the season three card deck. And a you know I think most of us have been around long enough to remember that when the uh, when the big card revision at the beginning of season two happened, they they made the cards available uh, fairly inexpensively. And at the time, you could buy them sort of granularly at the at the guild level and what they've decided this time around is to just sell us a deck of cards uh you know it's uh i still think it's incredibly reasonable on the price it's uh, like absolutely it's well it's 10 pounds 95 whatever which is (laughs) well i mean i i get it like like you know it used to be you know 10 or 11 pounds used to be like 190 dollars american yeah and now since you know their upheaval and everything it's it's like like 72 cents cents. yeah so uh yeah whatever it costs i i I don't know it's like 14 bucks maybe there's some florins um So that'll be available uh, January 20th. Also available January 20th are going to be two 
brand new season three players. And this is the first like new player concept art that we have seen. Yeah. In a, in a while, you know, it's that we, that we've seen since the release of the season two rule book, I'd say, you know, even though, uh, some of the renders for the, the last of the season two veterans have just come out in the last couple of months, their concept art had been around and in the public for quite some time. So this is, this was very exciting. Um, when it appeared and, and depending upon how you saw it, whether you saw it through official channels or otherwise was the difference of maybe about 24 hours. But, can we, um, can we talk about that for a second? Cause I find this incredibly, um, interesting and also encouraging. So, Everybody knows the big companies, right? The the privateers, the games workshops, shops, and everything have fans who are constantly fishing their websites with you know apps that just ignore directories and download everything it can get its hands on, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's how uh, you know in in these big companies have had to be careful so that spoilers don't get out and everything like that. So I noticed in that twenty four hour span of of you know a gap that the pictures of granite and pine pot both showed up mm-hmm. specifically from somebody doing that to guild ball which means steamforged has crossed over that line <laughs> to be big enough to have fanatic fans yeah, people doing fishing their website things, 24 yeah. hours a day yeah that's true now they're going to have they're going to they're gonna have to take that seriously yeah, I mean that's but that's news, right? I mean news. this this game that you it, and I they kickstarted. should be flattered. Yes, <laughs> they should definitely be flattered. Yeah, that we weren't sure we were ever going to see players playing. Yep. Yeah, has gotten that big. Yeah, so we uh, we've got granite and pint pot now. Of course, they have they've given some descriptive paragraphs but of course no no cards yet so we it remains to be seen what these what these characters do but i will say that they are really exciting concepts i mean these are two very cool miniatures i love the renders i love the art you know the granite may or may not be the wallpaper on my phone right now um uh, may being the answer if you weren't following and uh <laughs> can't wait to paint that figure and you know pipe pot pretty cool as well so yeah all those are going to retail on january 20th so not not too far away but just long enough that uh it is going to be a frustrating wait i uh well long enough to let people all these new players break in their masons and brewers from the uh you know, kickoff, kick not off. the podcast, which but... does come off now. We don't want to, don't want to give those guys any more, uh, any more swelled heads than they already have. So, uh, uh, but that comes out the twenty fifth. So that comes, that comes out, out at Steam. That Con. comes out at Steam Con along with those uh, those last few veterans. Yep. And so I'm going to pick mine up there instead of mail ordering them because that seems to make sense. Uh, and uh, should be. Uh, should be interesting to see what uh, what season three players look like when we finally get uh, when we finally get those cards. So I am excited. You know, that's new players. We haven't had that in a while. So don't you is... kind of feel like granite looks a little like chisel, and in in pint pot looks 
just a little like spigot. <laughs> I, I, like I was, I was, I, I looked at them. To me, they do. Now I could be completely off. I mean, to me, granite looks like an an awful lot like chisel with armor. And and pine pot, you know, I mean, he's got that big bare chest. How can I hold myself back? But I, I, I don't know. I. It's the first time I've seen Guild Ball models that I looked at and immediately felt a reference to, or like a really close reference to another model, you know, that, that weren't as distinct as I'm used to seeing. Uh, maybe. I mean, I no, thought, I thought Granite sort of looked like a kid wearing Hammer's armor. But, uh, <laughs> we'll okay. <laughs> Which, uh, give her a little teddy bear in her other hand. Yeah. <laughs> you know. uh still it's a, it's a great well, that, that can't be that can't be hammer's armor there's no bare midriff that's true that's true not showing off the six pack that's right so uh so uh i think that's all the news we're gonna do because we're not really talking about season three yet and uh so i think we are gonna go ahead and do uh do our interviews right Sounds like a plan. Uh, I, I would say yes. Very good. So, uh, again, first up is Matt and then uh, Chris Rudder. And we will see you in like an hour and a half because uh, uh, <laughs> I talked to those guys for a long time. <laughs> so uh, we will see you on the other side. One of our one of our favorite guests on uh, Gilball tonight has always been uh, Matt Hart, who is of course the uh, co-founder of Steamforge Games and designer of Guildball, which, as you might know, is the game we talk about here on the show. So uh, it is always a pleasure to to get him back on again, and we've done just that. So, hey, Matt, how you doing? Hey, Phil, that's very that's a very nice introduction. Well, you know, I try to keep everyone just a little bit different. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> well, it, it's it's more of a challenge for me than a uh, a benefit to our audience. So, uh, so how are you doing, Matt? Uh, not too bad. Um, just got back from Spiel, so mm-hmm. four pretty in, uh, intense days. Um, biggest convention in in Europe by a long way, and uh, you could I don't know the exact numbers. You could argue it's bigger than Gen Con. Um, in in some regards um but there's a lot more diverse in terms of the the nature of the games that they they tend to to you know to have uh, there's a lot more family orientated stuff a bit, bit more what you would cons- consider more mainstream but uh certainly plenty of you know n- new cool games to check out and um and and lots of sort of mini mini stuff as well so yeah it was, it was a good good few days ah, cool i uh I saw a lot of uh, a lot of coverage of, of course, kickoff, and uh, that seemed to go over well. So uh, looked like a looked like a good time. But I think uh, I think tonight you and I are, are uh, supposed to be talking about uh, uh, game design as opposed to uh, game selling. So, <laughs> All so right. why don't we switch over uh, switch gears here? So. Uh, you know, as uh, as as we know, every every team in Guild Ball kind of had kind of does its own thing, right? I mean, it's uh, it's no secret that the the butchers like to hit people and and the fishermen like to to kick the ball around. 
you know, so, you know, obviously when you're designing teams, you've got to keep, you've got to keep those roles in mind. And now that we are, now that we're up to nine teams, uh, you know, one of the questions I just have for you is, uh, is it, is it still easy to come up with new, to, with new niches for, for teams, with new gimmicks for them to, uh, to exploit? I mean, it's, it's definitely easy to come up with lots of new gimmicks and lots of new ways of, of playing the game. There's um, uh, the, the the tricky thing is is coming up with things that should yeah. be added to the game. Um, and the trap that you can fall into more often than not is is ever increasing complexity. So you know you can come up with a brand new idea, uh, but in order for it to be slightly different from the stuff that's gone before, it invariably is a little bit more of a complex idea, um, and this is where you start ending up with, you know, teams that have a little bit more, yeah, I'll use the word complexity again, um, but it, it, so we, we need to be mindful that when we're adding new new ways for teams to play, that they're, they're, they're still as singular as we can make them, because that that I think makes it a stronger idea. Sure. Well, maybe by way of example, we could talk about uh, kind of how we got here, right? Because you did start with the the butchers and the the fishermen, which have always exemplified sort of the two opposite extremes of of just basic scoring in in Guild Ball. But then, as you added the the remainder of the original eight teams and then the hunters kind of what were the what was the thought process sort of sort of there was it just because obviously it was more than just finding new spots along that hitting to kicking continuum but you were also trying to find some new just general ideas what were some of the uh you know what kind of went through your head as you were doing that well the interestingly enough the the first Eight teams um, were designed at the same time at a high level mm-hmm. um, to to give us a, a you know like a nice spectrum of different play styles and things that we thought would be appealing to to different kinds of gamers. Um, so you know you had the 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 Trixie faction, which was the you know the morticians, mm-hmm. you know. But then we we knew that if we just did a Trixie faction, then that would um, you know limit the amount of future things that we could do. So, you know, Morticians sort of evolved into the tricky uh, control faction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we wanted to to have a, a different play on that, or, you know, the tricky faction uh, in terms of controlling the board. So, you know, we looked at alchemists. And um, and I think the key to it is, 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 is to not be too specific with things but also not to be too generalistic when you're you're coming to China trying to define you know the purpose of a team so knowing that the alchemists were were all about you know tricks and controlling the board through through AOEs that that's a really nice example we could have at one point we were talking about making the alchemists all about combining AOEs to create new effects Right. But when we came to to actually start thinking about how that would work, and actually um, to start, you know, making some some characters that did that, it it rapidly, you know, became obvious that that was just one step too far in terms of complexity, 
Um, and it didn't add anything in terms of the you know the gameplay experience that that we were getting from from those particular characters. Sure, sure. Now, what when, when you have looked at uh, expanding beyond that first date, then and obviously with the the hunters being the first one, did you try to did you try to fill a a role which maybe was seen as a deficiency? in the other teams before it or were you just looking for an interesting new gimmick i mean if we can kind of define their uh snare mechanic and and use thereof as a as a new gimmick yeah what we wanted to do with the with the hunters was uh to explore the range game um and to give them a, a unique um way of triggering or using you know that that kind of range game uh, we decided to give them a, a unique, for them at the time, uh, condition. Mm -hmm. um, so it meant that we had a couple of, you know, key levers. And, you're, and I'll use that phrase quite often is, you know, we need to, Guild Wars and Engine has been deliberately designed to, to leave plenty of levers for us to, to tweak and pull and, and modify, which is why, you know, back at the beginning when you asked me, is it easy? It is actually easy because there's lots of, there's lots of things that go on in Guildhall that that you just think, well, this is how it currently works. What happens if I break that rule? And sure. that's generally what you what you you find the the most straightforward way to come up with an idea for a new guild is take something that works in the game and then come up with a reason why that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> um, and that generally gives you a unique you know play style for. For a character or for a, for an entire you know an entire new faction. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, has the uh, has sort of the design brief for a team ever sort of changed uh, as a result of playtesting and design? I mean, did you ever get a few months into it and just say uh, that that niche just wasn't gonna be fun, for instance? Um, do, 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 do. it kind it tends to evolve. I think because we because we mull over what the what the elevator pitches for a team quite extensively. You know, it's, it's kind of well documented. I have you know best part of a dozen teams to mm. that kind of level of development, ready to ready to rock and roll. I've had enough time to kind of ruminate on it, and 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 generally polished the elevator pitch and I think when you've got a polished elevator pitch it's it's hard to kind of really get that massively wrong it's certainly possible and, and has happened with the farmers and you know with a few other guilds that we've looked at it has evolved past that point but you can actually still trace it back to that the core goal of that of that particular guild okay. um, and it's it's a it's so important for us in terms of our design process. We, you know, we use it all the time. So, you know, through the season three balance, through the, you know, the, the season three um, new models that we're adding to the game, um, constant touch point was the the purpose and intent of that particular guild. Because again, the, you know, it, it's very, it's very much a trap, and it's a very easy trap to fall into. To, to, you know, look at the butchers and say, well, you know, of course you know the butchers could benefit from another model that can score goals well i've got brisket you know who's a who's a perfectly decent striker and but then you know that's probably one 
perfectly decent striker too many for a guild that's supposed to be, <laughs> you know, all about the killing. But um, I think if we if we polarise the butchers too hard and they were just all about the killing, then they'll be very easy to play against and they wouldn't be particularly interesting for other person. But mm -hmm. but you know, you look at the butchers and you think, well, wouldn't it be great if they had another striker? And and you then go back to the guiding star that you've you've laid out for the butchers and. And that that soon becomes you know obvious that no that is not what they need to add you know an even better example is adding any kind of conventional striker to the morticians for example is a it's a deliberate um, it's a deliberate plan you mm -hmm. know for their particular mm -hmm. gameplay style they don't bring strikers their opponent brings strikers for them to use <laughs> is is the intent of, of that team right right fair enough. So, so you mentioned some of the some of the the season three changes. Now we have seen, uh, we have seen the basics of the the farmers reap and sow mechanic uh, in the guise of the limited edition tater. So, mm. what was uh, how did how did that new mechanic come about, and where does it kind of fit into fit into the game and into what uh, what you want to do with the future as we move forward? So the idea for the mechanic came. Um, I mean, I've I've got a bit of a fetish for for putting tokens out, <laughs> and I just I like I just like the idea of of um, positional play uh, being one of the more important things in a game because I think that's where you get an awful lot of not not tactic. I mean, you do get tactical depth and strategic depth, but I think it's where you get the depth of player ability, so good players will know where to place their models and where they and where they should place things for their models to interact with, and and players who have less experience won't won't be as efficient about putting these things where they where they you know where they should be, mm -hmm. and we do like to build in you know stuff that isn't binary in terms of you know you know if as soon as you know the trick you just pull it off all the time. You know, it's it's kind of our equivalent of a skill shot from from you know League of Legends or or Dota or something like that. That you know, knowing where to put something in order for you to use it is a, is a skill test. So, with that in mind, you know, thinking when I was thinking about the farmers, one of the, one of the things that I mean, one of the things I do when I'm thinking about any guild is what would be the most powerful image or statement of that particular guild just in general forget about the game in its entirety you know what is it that makes farmers farmers right so you know farmers plant seeds mm -hmm. in advance of when they need to reap those you know reap the crops in order to make their money in order to make their living so right, right. you know a farmer exists in a really different time frame from from the rest of mankind who works nine till five monday to friday you know, I've never been a farmer, but you know, I, I can possibly imagine that you know, there's that preconception that farmers get up at dawn and go to bed at dusk, and and they kind of work, what you know, on what they need to work on, and and their years kind of pre-laid out. So I, I'd imagine they kind of tend to work week to week or month to month rather than day to day. Um, and I quite like the idea of like this this kind of necessity to to think ahead. Um, to plan ahead, and when if you do get it right, then you you get you know you reap bumper crops, and if you and if you don't, then then you, you know you get a weak harvest, and you have to kind of deal with that as a farmer, you know. Um, 
so so that was really where I started thinking with those those guys was the the idea of pl- planting ahead um, to, to to reap them later on. Now the re- the very first mechanic that I came up with was um, was you actually put they were another AOE control faction, um, but you basically put the you put the the plant token out. And then in the following turn, it turned from a 30 mil to a to a 50 mil, and then you know after that it became a like a three inch AOE um, as it kind of grew over time. So the, you know it started off as a fairly small effect, but that became quite clumsy. Quite you know how do you? And a lot of times when you know the the things that sound great in theory never survive first contact with the actual physical interactions. Um, it, it was li- it's literally very very tricky to write rules on how to replace a, a, an AOE with another shaped or sized AOE. Mm-hmm. If yeah, you think about it, you know doing that in a, lined up, sure. Exactly. So yeah, trying to do it in a clean fashion is not easy. And then you've got the other problem with AOEs, which um, no one's really solved. But you know, when the when the models are in, involved. You know, what, how, do you do you place the ring over the top of the models? That doesn't really work. Do you lift the model and then put the AOE underneath it? But then, how do you put the model back exactly? So, AOEs in general can be quite tricky. So, having a faction that's sort of revolved around those mechanically, like physically, started to become a bit of an issue. So, so we went back to the drawing board. We knew we wanted to plant things, and we knew we wanted to get better benefits from them later on. Um, so, what we realised was it would be great if if some models specialized in planting and the other models specialized in in using those plants to to kind of make their effects and and what that did is it actually forced it forces like teamwork in which which is something you know and combos and and link play mm-hmm. um between your models which is one of the the hallmarks of a good guild ball team is where you know, it's not just a team of individuals. You're actually working together. You're you're buffing each other, or you're supporting each other, or you're setting each other up. That's that's you know where Gilball really starts to become extremely fun. And and so you know we we could kind of typify that by, as I say, having these guys who plant, you know, um, uh, harvest markers out, and and then you know the reapers who actually use the harvest markers uh, to do what they do. And then that cascades through, you know, to you can then start blocking out. Well, what does that mean in terms of general th- flavor of the team, or you know, and and general attributes of the team? So, you know, in general, um, planters probably ought to have a little bit more influence than reapers. Reapers probably ought to rely more on the harvest markers for their kind of influence style uh, impact on the game, um, and then that creates you know a, a value to the to the harvest markers um yeah and then there's this concept of counterplay so everything that we put into the game needs to have some degree of counterplay um it can't just work mm-hmm. and and you know so we looked at you know models moving over the top of the harvest markers like if an enemy model moved over the top of the harvest marker you know it, it destroyed it and this is one of the ones that we we found in you know in playtests that actually um, 
you know charging you know or, or just moving over it was too easy so you know maybe if it's charging or maybe if it's sprinting and that you know or maybe if you dodge over the top of it um so it, it kind of evolves out but it, it still traces back to that that original idea and that that kind of creative process just takes you know a number of weeks and a number mm-hmm. of games and, and an awful lot of um sort of design meetings to to just push it around a bit and, 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 and get an idea of it. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that, that uh, I find really interesting about, about this is that, you know, you were able to, to say so much about the, the concept for farmers without ever actually mentioning whether or not, or, or even, you know, considering whether or not they were, you know, kind of a, a kicking team or a hitting team. I think, it's, I think it's interesting that that's not the dynamic that you focus on, that it is more of a uh, maybe a larger uh, dynamic that, that's at work than just sitting on that, that very simplistic continuum. I mean, do you think that that, that, that gives you room to have more depth to to team design or is it uh is it just the case that those sorts of things just always come later uh, sorry how how do you mean well just that because you you don't seem to be focusing on whether or not it's a hitting team or a kicking team mm. is that not as important of a consideration or is it just something that can come later it's something that can come later. It's something that can come first. It's you know uh, one of the the um, one of the strengths of our design team and our creative process is we don't actually have a fixed or prescribed route uh, when we come to designing you know characters and and or teams. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a number of key attributes that we we need to identify and and define, um, and you know it kind of doesn't matter which bit of the roundabout you get on as long as you get on the roundabout somehow you then have to go around a couple of times before you can get off again with a with a you know a decent idea so you know we we tend to default to a 55 45 um split in favor of scoring goals Mm -hmm. as our uh, as our baseline um and then once once you've established the baseline it's then easy to then identify whether you want them to be stronger or weaker in in a particular area or, or not yeah that's that's probably a good place to start i like i do like that little tilt towards the towards kicking but that's <laughs> that's yes. just that's just me uh, we all know that i uh I'm just not. Uh, I'm just not a mean guy, so I don't like hitting people. Uh, <laughs> I just think the game's more fun when you when the ball's moving about. To oh, be honest yeah, with you, absolutely. I just, you know, I, and I get you know that it's not everyone's cup of tea, and a lot of people like you know smashing face. So mm-hmm. that is you know obviously still an option. But I, I, for me, I, I enjoy the games where the ball moves about a lot more. Yeah, very very good. Yes. So when you're when you're looking even let's say even further down the road do you think that we will be seeing uh do you think that we'll be seeing teams can sort of consistently introducing new mechanics i mean the last you know with the with the hunters and now the the farmers we've we've had you know in one case a condition in another case a new token and uh, even the expansion of the use of tokens with season two, we saw with uh, like Mother, for instance. I mean, is 
mm. is sort of the expansion of of the the variety of things happening in the game a a focal point or is that, is that just coincidence and we you know maybe won't see that or is it just going to be a uh, each team is going to be a different project and we don't really have an objective approach I think I mean as I said at the beginning I think it's easy to do that kind of stuff to, to keep adding stuff to the game mm-hmm. uh, in terms of complexity and I think the challenge that we'll face um, is is adding fresh content but without further increasing the complexity so you know right. currently the, the the way the the newer teams are, are designed is about the level where i wouldn't want to go past in terms of how hard or intricate a particular team is to play okay. and in fact what i'd like to do um is start thinking about you know normalizing back to to a lot more to a lot more streamlined a lot more simpler stuff just just to make sure that we're not kind of feature bloating the game right. too hard right or or perhaps making teams that are just for uh just for maybe advanced players you know you you don't you always want new teams to be good as somebody's first uh first experience in the game i would assume yeah i mean it, it's interesting you say that that's i mean that that is a very treacherous um piece of ground to wander out into um it, you know uh kind of high skill cap teams um we you know with a high barrier to entry are are a perennial problem if if we're not careful and i i rather suspect this is you know this is why the morticians are featuring very strongly as they are probably our closest to to a high skill cap team mm-hmm. um, and in the hands of someone who has that high skill cap and or game experience they are very very strong right. um, and I think you know the other side of the coin of course is is designing teams that are, that are a bit more straightforward a bit more appealable to to you know newer players players with less intricate knowledge of, of how the game works you know, run the risk of, of being great fun to play with at first and then and being left behind once, you know, once you want that, that additional kind of challenge, as it were, or additional functionality from your team. So, we, you know, we are mindful of, of difficulty curves for actually using teams um, when, when we're talking about them. Um, and I, I don't know if I really want to... I think if we built a team that was designed to be... For advanced players only, I think that would end up being a mistake. If I'm perfectly honest with you, because I th- I just think that that team would then start to dominate the tournament scene, and would create a really false impression for new players coming in who would have heard all about this new team, would pick it up, and then probably get frustrated with the game, and and you know may not get to enjoy it because it feels frustrating, and they move on to you know onto another game. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair enough. I think we should leave uh, leave the advanced players to gimmick rosters and uh, <laughs> let all the rest of us play everything. Yeah, yeah. But uh, all right, so I, uh, you know, I think uh, 
the the last question uh, that I'll ask is the you know the the lamplighters are your perennial favorite example team. <laughs> yes, they uh, are. When are they going to make the leap from example to uh, to actual team, or are they just too good as an example to actually make into a team? Well, the trouble is, is if I make them into a real team, then I'll have to come up with a new example. <laughs> <laughs> Fair but, enough. I have been banging on about them for so long that they, they, you know, they know, might I, see the light of day. You never I, know. I keep expecting to see those those concepts pop up on on the uh, the web any day now for uh, yeah, the guys on their stilts, man. Well, what I want to do with them visually as well is kind of give them a bit of a bit of a kooky kind of experience, sort of like um like a Tim Burton esque kind mm -hmm. of spindly limbs, and you like you say on stilts and everything. Um, You've got so I much good material. <laughs> I know they're like, but they're, what, the reason why I like them as an example is because they're not the first thing that anyone thinks of. Yeah, you know, um, and and yet when you say it and when you talk about like you know the the core idea and the core visuals and what they could do on the field, mm -hmm. people get it instantly, and that that's why it's such a powerful example because it's not what you think it is, and then. It, it delivers exactly what you want the example oh, to be. I know they yeah. they serve such a good purpose in, in interviews such as this, but I just want those miniatures, man. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Maybe one day. All Maybe right, one day. Right. I mean, I can't. I'd be surprised if they didn't make the leap at some point in time because they're almost a fully designed right. guild at the moment. So yeah, true. <laughs> they true. can't just sit there being examples. That'd be unfair on them. Well, I'll be around and we can talk about them then. So, all right. Well, uh, thanks for thanks for joining us once again, my friend. And, no problem. Uh, anytime. Yep. And we will uh, we'll see you at SteamCon and talk to you uh, talk to you then. All right, mate. No problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. SteamCon. Yeah. Not long to go now. What have we got? Yeah. Five weeks. Happy days. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we're close. We are close. I need to start. Uh, I need to start figuring out what I'm gonna how I'm gonna get places. But you know, that's uh, that's neither here nor there. All right. Well, uh, you know, thanks again, and we will see you. Uh, we'll see you soon. Yes. Take it easy, dude. All right. So, uh, so Chris Rudder of uh, Who Cares Who Wins. Uh, I, I believe you're here to tell me why I'm why I'm wrong. Is that what we're going to do today? Uh, un undoubtedly, undoubtedly. <laughs> now let, let's just drop the pretense that this is any sort of smooth podcast. <laughs> um, we've just been talking, and Phil's just blown my mind <laughs> by uh, by explaining the nature of this segment to me. <laughs> we we're going to discuss painting myths and why Phil's doing what he's doing wrong, and I, I can't tell you. I'm 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 so I'm, I'm close to getting on an aeroplane, going over there and beating you. <laughs> How do you not prime your miniatures? How does that even work? I just don't. I I okay. So here's what I do. I take my miniature, I put it together, I stick it on a cork, and then I just take a thin coat of either black or brown paint, depending on what the what the warmth of the figure needs to be, and I just kind of slap that on. And it's always been enough. I mean, I don't... See, here's here's the reason I don't prime my figures is because in the past, I've had issues with spray-on primer 
obliterating details because I don't mm -hmm. like I don't like spraying anything on my figures. I don't like spraying primer on my figures. I don't like spraying paint on my figures. I don't like using an airbrush on my figures, and I don't like spraying on sealer. I like brush on sealer because I just feel like I don't have any control over how much of this junk is going on to my figure. Does that make sense? That, no, that, aerosol primers, rattle cans. I'd nearly sworn. I don't know if I'm allowed to. That, <laughs> that, that shit is evil. Don't, yeah. don't, don't ever use that. I mean, that's the the hundreds of pounds, which I, I don't even know what a pound's worth anymore. It's probably like twenty dollars or something <laughs> worth of miniatures that I have destroyed in the past yeah. uh, with with aerosols is is an outrage. But I did. I picked up a, a cheap cheap compressor and cheap airbrush, and the, the, the compressor's really good. The airbrush is not. Um, it's, it's, it's good enough for what I want it for. Uh, so I can do a bit of painting with it, but principally um, I'm, I'm using it to, to, to undercoat and varnish. Uh, years ago, I determined, uh, I'd painted a load of War Machine stuff, and it looked really nice, and then I aerosol varnished it. It just, it frosted up, it looked hideous. But I'm never doing that again. And exactly. Of course, exactly. I, I continued doing it <laughs> until, until I painted my fisherman. Yeah. Uh, my fisherman, the, 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 the primer went, the, sorry, the uh, the varnish went wrong on them. Uh, really happy with the paint job on them, but I don't like touching them. They have a sort of strange grainy, grainy texture to the touch. Hmm. And yeah, that that's kind of your, your 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 fingers are your interface with the thing. You've got to you've got to enjoy moving these things around the pitch, or, or what's what's the bloody point in playing? Um, and that was me. That was me done then. So I moved on to brush on sealer, brush on varnishes. Yeah, that's what which, I use. They, they they worked all right. I, I can't I can't say that there was anything wrong with that um, by any stretch. But then I, I picked up this this cheap airbrush, and have saved myself from from picking it up hundreds of pounds in in rattle can prices. Mm -hmm. So, and I only use it really for var uh, for for varnishing and for base uh, for for undercoating. Right. And ev everything. Regardless of what colour it's going to end up, gets undercoated in white. Okay. It's one that it, I, I think it helps you see detail. Mm -hmm. uh, that might be more to do with my eyes than anything else. <laughs> but I think it, it helps you see detail, and I just find there's something a little bit more inspiring about a nice, crisp, clean white miniature upon which to uh, to start to lay colours. I suppose it is a blank canvas in a way. Very much so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it gives me an idea. I, I paint quite wet. Mm -hmm. um, and I, well, I, and also you, you use water. <laughs> that is, that, that, that's true. I'm, you know, I'm going to just pop the uh, cap, oh, shit, back on, this, um, back on this bottle of airbrush the next. I think it's affecting my, my mind. Um, <laughs> It just has just occurred to me. I'm probably sitting here abusing solvents. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have to go to uh, to our local supermarket and, and buy myself a couple of tins of gin and tonic. I had such a such a big night out last night, and my hangover is so intense that there's no way I can get over it other than just get slightly drunk again. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, hey, it works. But yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be paying for this tomorrow. So the, uh, yeah, the 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 blank canvas effect I do I think it's I think it's psychiatrically 
beneficial mm-hmm. to, 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 to sit down to paint something that's white. And with, with the airbrush, um, I think you can control how much paint's going on very, very well indeed. Mm-hmm. If you just kind of dial it back a bit, keep it thin, take your time, and and just just build that up uh, if needs be. And, and I'm, I'm saying this like the wise old man of the sea. What I do is I fill the reservoir doodad with um, thinner and paint. Now crank it up as high as it'll go, and everything's undercoated in seconds. And then the smoke alarm goes off because of the overspray. But it's it is technically possible to uh, to operate an airbrush in a, in a in a more socially responsible manner than I do. Okay, um, but it, I, I, I can't imagine. And I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because I, I am a fan of your paint jobs. I, I do, I do like your style, um, and I, I think you get a nice end result. But I can't imagine the process that you go through from a sort of washy black stroke brown base yeah. to, to to building up to sort of nice vibrant colours with 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 good depth and, and things. Like that. How does that actually work? I just put the paint on the, on the miniature. <laughs> I mean, is, oh god, my chair's about to go. Um, but is is it? Did you layer color on? Is it a layering technique that you use? No, I. I mean, I put. I, I do a base coat of uh, the color that I'm going to use on this section that I'm that I'm painting, and then I just blend highlights up. So I mean, there's. Ultimately, there are a lot of layers. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just keep putting things on, you know, either they're darkening the the recesses or lightening the, the, the high points until it looks like what I want it to look like. And sometimes, you know, with a color like red that needs to come out vibrant, there's, you know, going to be eight layers on there. And then with a, a, a more dull color, maybe there's only one, you know, so... Um, I just keep putting paint on until it works. <laughs> I suppose that there would be, I suppose that there would be uh, shortcuts to getting to that point. But I'm an old dog, right? Like I've learned every trick I'm ever going to learn at this point, and so I, I think that I'm just too set in my ways to change. But we well, see, I I thought this as well. I must admit, and I cut my teeth painting-wise in, in Games Workshop. I used to work for them, yeah. and that's that's it. And there was a kind, I'm going to say there was a, a prescribed method of painting, mm-hmm. um, but essentially there was, where you started with your mid-tone, you applied your um, dark-tone shade and your light-tone highlight, and that was pretty much it. And that's, that's kind of how we were all told to paint, that's how... The magazine, uh, I forget what it's called, White Dwarf, told us to paint, mm-hmm. and that was, and we didn't have the internet at that point in time because we're old. Um, <laughs> and we, we we didn't know, we didn't know any other um, techniques that even existed really. So what I tend to do now, um, <laughs> now the evil empire isn't telling me how to do things, and I have the the internet to. Uh, to support me through various 
ridiculous decisions I've made. I start from the top down. So what I'll tend to do is over a white undercoat, and I think I think you need to use a white undercoat to do this. You don't, I don't think it will work with um, a black undercoat. Black undercoats, absolutely. I hate them. I, I can't I can't express how little I enjoy painting on black. Mm-hmm. Um, but white undercoat. So I'll start with my very lightest highlight colour, and then it'll get washed with that. I know there'll be a number of coats that go on, and they're really really thin. So you start to form your your, your gradient from your, your topmost highlight down, and then I'll add dark to that and and go over it uh, into in, in recesses primarily, and I'll, I'll build up shadows rather than highlights. Hmm. If that makes sense, I'm, I'm sitting here gesticulating wildly. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> voice for radio, hands for telly, um, and. <laughs> <laughs> a little mantra I'm going to have to start saying to myself. So I, I say I'm, I'm, I'm doing that at the moment. Currently I'm sitting painting um, Mother and her little spidery bomb swarms. Uh, and it's a technique that works really well for those because I'm, I'm sure... Have, have you have you got around to painting Mother yet? Yeah, Mother is... Uh, I've done... Uh, I've finished off Mother a while back. Uh, but as a technique, because I look at those and there's just those tiny little spiders crawling around, great cogs, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how, how to paint them. So, as a, as an easy technique, and this is for, for me engineers, I'm I'm precious about my engineers. Um, they have to look nice. That's because God knows they're not very good. Um, <laughs> so, so they have to look nice. There you go. Um, and as as a technique to getting. To, to get into grips with things, particularly like these little tiny spider swarms, it works really, really well. Because mm-hmm. I could spray it white and then I can just go through this process, go in, pick out the um, the cogs later, and they'll look they'll look good. It's 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 laborious, it's time consuming. Um, but you can you can play with it if you if you're a if you're a fan of glazing, you can uh, you, you can you can change change hues and values and things with 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 glazes. And it's great for it feels very painterly to do. So, um, if you are a, a pretentious narcissist, yeah. it's 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 a it's a it's quite a rewarding thing because I can convince myself that I'm being creative and artistic, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, and then the consequent I can tell everyone that I'm creative and artistic, yes. oh, well, uh, course, and that's all that that's that's all that matters. Just. Yeah. So, so, uh, so should I tell you that I buy my brushes for two dollars on the internet? Oh, if it were, oh, yeah. and and if, um, they're white nylon. Ah, no, I have no. We 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 get we get polar whites over here, <laughs> and um, they they are cheap. I I don't dislike a, a, a white nylon brush. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it, it it's horses for courses. Um, by preference, I like um, Broken Toad sells a, a set of um, a set of beautiful Kalinsky Sable brushes. Mm-hmm. Um, if, I, if I'm painting something that I really, really care about, I want to, to give it my best paint job. I'll use those. My bog standards are uh, Windsor & Newton Series 7s, but that being said, I have loads of white nylon brushes, and it's just about finding the the tools that that suit 
the job that you're doing. If I'm painting uh, a lot of a lot of miniatures, so when I was painting a lot of War Machine, and I'm painting a lot of metal miniatures with jaggedy pointy bits, and I just wanted to go fast, then I would use my Polar Whites because they're so robust. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take such an awful lot of abuse before they conk out. Um, I, I would I would quite happily recommend anyone get a set of a set of nylon brushes. But that being said, um, if you're wanting to sit and really paint something, your brush is your interface with that model, and you'll have. I think I I, I find I enjoy using a nicer brush a bit more, and they, they all have different different qualities, different characteristics. So you'll. Well, and that's I'll the thing. You, I think you need to find, you need to find the brush that, that responds the way that you need it to respond. I mean, in my case, what I like about the brushes that I use is that they're very short, and yes. they're very stiff and springy. So for me, it's almost like, it's almost like using a pencil on the miniature yeah right like i'm not i'm not having to deal with sort of the the flop and flow of of the long sable brush i'm just sort of like pinpoint streaking the paint across the, the miniature and it's it's going to be extremely predictable and uh fairly uh, you know, there's not going to be a lot of splitting as it moves across. And, and you know, I've, I've been frustrated with even some of the more expensive brushes. Like I've tried the Windsor & Newton thinking that it was the, the you know, the, the secret formula to painting better. And it was just such a different style of brush than what I was used to that it actually made me paint worse. Sure, I, 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 I can absolutely understand that. Your, your Windsor and Newton, they tend to be um, quite short in the bristles, so they don't they don't hold a great deal of paint. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, that wasn't the problem for me. It's that that taper that you get with the Windsor and Newton, right? Where it's like at the at the at the handle, it's it's like it's a thick brush, and then it kind of tapers down to that fine point. There's something about that style of brush that confounds me. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I suppose it, it, brushes are such a personal thing. I, I don't. I don't believe that uh, you get wildly different results mm-hmm. with wildly different brushes. If you're doing big washes and things like that, I would never use a nylon for for that, just because they are a bit less forgiving. So if you're applying washes to a larger area, the the wet wash will reactivate to a degree the paint underneath it. And I think sometimes you can get a little bit of scrubbing with a nylon brush, which you don't tend to get with a sable. Um, but I, 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 I do agree that nylons for... I'm going to say this, Phil. I'm sorry if it upset you. Nylons for doing eyes are, are, <laughs> are, are pretty pretty spot on. Um <laughs> Any, anything that comes to a like nice fine point and uh, has a, a nice sharp bristle for for detail work like that, or I say if you if you if you're blasting through stuff, if you want to paint quick, use nylon. 
I reckon. Yeah. Um, because if you use, I can, I can, I can destroy a set of Windsor and Newtons in six weeks. Uh, if if I'm if I'm if I've really got my painting head on, dude, I can uh, destroy one in one night. Don't uh... <laughs> you know? But I, I go through the whole brush soap rigmarole and yeah. treat treat them better than I treat my babies. And <laughs> I, I say I, I, I love paintbrushes. I just, I, I just find them intrinsically beautiful things to to hold. I often walk around with one behind my ear or just in my hand, just from from habit, yeah. and. Um, of course, it, it makes me look cool and interesting when people knock on the door and I've got a paintbrush nah. in my ear. Um, but it's it, so, it, but they are. It's, it's very much it's a weapon of choice thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I, well, I have to say it was it was very similar with sculpting, right? So when I was when I was taking sculpting seriously, there was this there was this tool, and I've just dug it out because this conversation has reminded me so much of this, and it's a. It's called the Taranti uh, number five. It is the. It's like the uh, considered like the 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 best tool for sculpting twenty eight millimeter miniatures, and like the the reputation it had was that like it was the first thing that they would have hand a trainee at Games Workshop when they run them in and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was it was a fairly expensive tool to to get a hold of because it was it was made over in your parts and um you know it would have cost me 25 or 30 dollars i think to buy one and so i didn't i didn't get one i actually had a a tool that i had ground a few shapes that i liked into from a a different shape of of wax sculpting tool that i used to do all my work yeah and then at some point, a a person who uh, I, I was friends with on the internet, uh, because there's there's nothing uh, I like better than receiving gifts from strange men on the internet, um, <laughs> decided to to send me one of these because I had said something about not owning one in some forum where people were talking about sculpting tools, and I was like, mm. you know coming in and being all hipster you know oh you don't need good tools just you know find something that has a shape you like and work with it and uh so so this guy sent me this thing and i have never been able to accomplish anything with this tool so it's kind of it's kind of like me painting with the windsor and newton series seven it's everybody else in the world gets fantastic results with it but for some reason i have to be all hipster and just not be able to accomplish anything with the best tool. I've got some piece of crap that I took a belt sander to. <laughs> and that's that's what uh, that's what worked for me back when I could actually see enough to sculpt. So uh this is this is a lifestyle choice for me, I think is what it comes down to. It's not a <laughs> This is just you being contrary. It is. It is. And yeah. speaking of me being contrary, uh, I totally disagree that you have to paint eyes on miniatures. I think this is the one that we've we've been over ad nauseum. But I just want to say, I, I'm right on this one. I'm absolutely right on this one, no matter what anybody says. You cannot see the eyes on a miniature unless they are terribly painted as big as saucers. 
more than eight oh. inches away from your face. Oh. Now, I, I'm going to say this, Phil. I, I, I love you dearly, but you are the wrongest human being <laughs> I've ever encountered in my life. Um, I think it's... it's I, I take the point that you can't see the eyes on, on something um, unless you're looking at it. But we do look at each other's miniatures. Or people pick your stuff up. Go, yeah. that looks really nice. Or you you put it down in a, a the the painting judging bit of a tournament, and people bend down and and look at these things. And I I just if for me you say it 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 shows a a, a level of finishedness to a miniature. Because if if I'm doing a face, I have a very very simple flesh recipe for Caucasian flesh. Pepper, salt, a little bit of cayenne. <laughs> Some, just just raw and bloody and still screaming. Um, <laughs> let me see, what do I use? I have um, Vallejo Game Colour. I think I might have gone over this on a previous thing because it just works so well for me. Vallejo Game Colour, extra opaque, heavy skin tone. That's my base. Yeah. And then that gets a wash of uh, Vallejo game colour uh, what's it called well that's bronze don't use that I am, I am colour blind as well so in, in my defence um, I, I think it's dark flesh it's a, it's a real sort of ruddy dark flesh colour Yeah, uh, it's quite nice for, for leathers in general washer that, bring it back up with the, um, the extra opaque skin tone and then they do an elf flesh which is very very pale which I'll use to build the highlight up. Because flesh is the only thing that I don't paint from the top down. Do you ever notice how fundamentally racist the, the paint colors are for skin tones? Really? <laughs> it, genuinely. It, well, it really upsets me. And, I mean, here's the thing. We, we, we were talking about sort of race earlier when we were, when we were off air just having a, having a catch-up. And you mean I think the, the two hours before we recorded this? <laughs> It's been a while, um, but how racist is is miniature sculpting in general? I know, it, I know, yeah. and that's one of the things I aggressively paint. You know, ethnic characters for uh, in my in my miniatures collection because uh, you know you 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 look at you look at pictures of painted armies and stuff, and it's just all white dudes. Yeah, they're all white dudes. So it's like I go out of my way to to find at least one or two characters in every guild ball team who I can paint as Hispanic or Asian or or black or something, just because it needs to be represented. No, I mean I I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely, agree. and if we we look at guild ball as a specific example, I think that there's. There is a number of because I mean obviously this is this is my my pet hate is it's white people is is is, is, is it, don't it, get it, me started on white people <laughs> in 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 gaming terms yeah yeah we 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 get flesh colours that only describe Caucasian flesh mm. with which to paint miniatures that are almost invariably Caucasian featured right. And Guild Ball has, I mean, let's be honest, Guild Ball has done a much better job of making characters who are clearly ethnic than yeah. most other games. 
I've just decided to take it a little bit further. You know, like I decided Mallet was going to be a black guy. I decided that, uh, uh, you know, Siren was going to be uh, West Indian, you know. So it was easy to find even more characters to to apply that standard to above and beyond what was already probably one of the most inclusive games out there. And did you find that because do you find that by painting a miniature that is sculpted to be Caucasian or racially non-specific, yeah, to be a non-Caucasian skin tone, do do you find it works? Because it depends on the miniature. I mean, there there are fig there are miniatures, and it it usually comes down to the hair more than the face. That that just wouldn't have worked, you know. I mean, it's you know Becky with the good hair problem, right? Like, yeah, the the, the long flowing locks of a, a figure like, uh, you know, uh, Harmony or uh, or or Flint's wavy uh, pompadour kind of a thing wouldn't necessarily work. Um. Mm. Uh, I think uh, credibly, I mean, you could still do it. You could absolutely still do it. But I think that there were just figures that, that lent themselves more to it. You know, like Mallet had kind of uh, the right hair for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, or Tower, for instance, Tower's hair has no detail. It's just kind of a a flat top without detail. And so those two figures just worked and, they, they come off absolutely credibly. You could just do it to anybody, but I like to, I like to kind of find the places where maybe they were unintentionally effective, but to do that with. No, I mean, that, 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 that's quite an interesting, um, quite an interesting point because I, I won't paint a miniature that is Caucasian, theme that the, the sculpt is mm-hmm. Caucasian or racially non-specific as anything other than Caucasian and now I feel kind of bad about that <laughs> um, because I, I do I think it's a, it, I, th- I think it's a throwback from various various armies that I've seen across the years right. that have a token black man in them mm. and and you know, it's 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 kind of, it's it's quite an upsetting thing. Hasn't this turned dreadfully serious as we now discuss social justice through? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I say, young men who thought it was wildly hilarious to uh, to incorporate a token black man in, in, into their army or or whatever it was, that it has just turned me off that so much um, that it's it's never really occurred to me uh, to 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 perhaps look at. Look at look at other characteristics that would uh, mm-hmm. that would lend themselves to other ethnicities. I'm looking at Boiler. Currently, I've got a uh, I've got the the limited edition Boiler sculpt there, sitting waiting for painting. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering he might. Uh... Well, I mean Boiler with that that kind of tasseled hair. I mean, you know, he could certainly he could certainly do. You could do Asian. You could do uh, Latino. Yeah, I think he would be fine as not a white kid. You know, and uh, but I mean, it's up to you, right? I mean, like for me, it's just very personal because I am—I do have a—I have a, a mixed race family, and so it's just, yeah. 
you know, when I put miniatures on the table and, and my my son walks in, I want him to see his experience. Sure. Um, and it's not judgmental. It's just this is my world and I want it to be I want my imaginary world to reflect my real world. And that's all. Absolutely. It's not it's not, you know, I'm not a social justice warrior. I'm not trying to to shame anybody. It's just yeah, this is what I do. But you don't paint eyes. <laughs> but I don't paint eyes. Everybody everybody is everybody is equal in their lack of eyes. No, I paint <laughs> I painted the eyes on a mascot or two because they just had enormous eyes, right? Sure. They, there's a there's a size there's a size break. So I think that if you get to a certain if your eyes are a, a certain size they get painted. <laughs> they get to be open. They, you get to see. <laughs> um, I, no, I, I say I think I think therein we will have to um, yeah. we will have to disagree. That, that's uh, it. Friendship over. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Terminate this damned call. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just I can't I, can, I can't think of any other detail on a miniature that I wouldn't paint. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I'm not going to draw the line. At eyes, and there's 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 ways and means of um, of getting an eyeball. Oh, there are, and and the fact is, I have the capacity to do it. I'm just almost never satisfied with the result. They're always like they're just, and it's usually the figure's fault. But so often, like the eyes will be lopsided, or one will be bigger than the other, and I just I. At some point, I got so frustrated with them, and I just said, nobody sees this anyway. I'm just going to start skipping it. And it actually came in stages, because first I stopped painting the whites of the eyes. It would just do like a black dot to kind of give the shade of an eye. And then I just dispensed with that altogether, and just I darkened the socket with a little bit of dark paint, and that's about it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's enough for me. I'm happy. Well, that's it. I, I, I would, I would, I would hate to, uh, I would hate to put anyone off from having a go at painting eyes, because yeah, it is quite an intimidating enough. thing. Yeah. When you're you're looking at, you know, something that is fundamentally the size of a, well, it's not even the size of a pinhead. Yeah. And and you've got a brush that's dripping with paint, but I say that. Well, I, there's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so. In, in in the interest of kind of the completeness of this this conversation, yeah. if I'm painting eyes, the eye socket gets um, gets a dark wash of the dark flesh tone, so it pulls it right the way back. Yeah. Um, and then I do the paint the eyeball black, and then put two dots of white either side. Oh, so you're a, you're a white daughter. I'm a white daughter. Yeah. So there's that's like one of those it's like one of those. Uh, uh, you know, toilet paper over, toilet paper under discussions in, in the miniature world is do you do the white dots or do you white eyeball and then a single black dot? You see, I, I think you're, you're white dotting, you get less starey eyes. You have mm-hmm. twice the capacity to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at me on my best behavior. You will, uh, you you will to... get You will get points from the Russian judge for difficulty on uh, the, the white dots. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I, I, I do. I think you, you've got more more capacity for it to go wrong. But yeah, you, know, you you can you can always just paint it out again and restart. Right. Uh, but I do. I think it minimizes the 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 the, the, the look of alarm that can go. <laughs> yes. If if you if you're a black daughter. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I would encourage anyone to 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 give it a go. Because yeah, you're... I mean, try it. I mean, if you get results that you're happy with, do it. You know, like if you're if their eyes are half the size of their face and you're happy with it, then you know. <laughs> You're at, but, I mean, like, I'm not going to tell people how to paint. I'm just going to tell people to paint, right? That's what I care about. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and I think that's that's the important thing, isn't it? We both share the uh, we, we we both share a love and enthusiasm for for miniatures, for mm. painting miniatures, building miniatures, and and playing with miniatures. And for me, well, the maybe thing not is, so much that last one. <laughs> we have a go from time to time. <laughs> um, but it, 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 for for me, it's the thing that separates the the amount of money I waste on miniatures games from the amount of money, the amount of money I waste on video games is the fact that I can get my pounds per minute or pounds per hour of enjoyment from a miniatures game. Generally speaking, far higher than with a video game because I enjoy that that process of mm-hmm. of painting, and it's a it is a bit of a creative outlet, and uh, I do think that. Even if people think that they can't do it, there are numerous techniques that one can deploy to get a good-looking force for, for, for any miniatures game. Guild Ball in particular, because it's such a low model count. Uh, anyone can get a good-looking force with with a bit of patience and a bit of a bit of practice, a bit of effort that they can be proud of. And everyone, I haven't got time to paint my own miniatures. Yeah, you have. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm rubbish at it. We're all rubbish at it. Some of us have just got got techniques in the in the in the toolbox that we can use to mask the fact that we're rubbish at it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I don't know how much joy there is in you go to you go to a, a tournament and and people pick your miniature up or look at it and go, God, that looks fantastic. You say, Yeah, that cost me thirty pound a miniature to get painted. I'd, I don't see the appeal in that, and uh, I would encourage anyone to, uh, to to have a have a go. And if 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 the old techniques that we've been taught, taught, I've lost the. Let me just have another mouthful of gin. Hang on. <laughs> if the old techniques that we've all been taught for years don't work for you, there is an alternative to just putting it all away and sending the things off to get painted by someone else. Just try something new, and you know you can. If if people are still listening to this and you haven't edited it out, if people are struggling to to get to get paint on miniatures and they want they want to talk about different painting techniques, um, I'm no painting expert by any stretch, but I can do a credible job, and I can do a credible job quickly, and with minimum fuss. So people are more than welcome to get in touch with with me, and I'm I'm quite happy to. Uh, to talk them through some some various things, you know, we do a Skype thing, we do an email thing. I have loads of time on my hands these days, so <laughs> I, 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 yeah, there it is. Uh, but yeah, we can we can we can do that, um, and just just keep at it, and it does it does get better, it, you know, and it, it it does become a thing that you can uh, you can derive great pleasure in. Best thing I ever bought for miniatures painting. I wasn't really enjoying doing it, and I was. Uh, Having just, I, I, I was believing all the excuses that I would tell myself. I haven't got time. I can't, can't do it for umpteen different reasons. And I was bought 
uh, a Games Workshop product, which was a painting tray. Uh, it was just a little lap tray, essentially, uh, with sort of escutcheons on the whole paint and water and stuff. So I could put a couple of dozen bottles of paint in there, a little pot of water, and I could sit in front of the TV and paint because you know, you've never got time for miniatures painting, but you've always got time for Game of Thrones or, or, <laughs> or, or whatever it might be. So I, I made that my, my habit. And consequently, it was always really easy to do. And I am lazy. So if it's not easy, I, I, I can't be bothered. But it made it really easy. And then you know, at the end of painting, it just went somewhere else as a as a one so that that was a fantastic thing so you know if you're if, if, if you're, you're sort of short of time and things like that then there are other alternatives out there um, that just just slightly different ways of doing the same thing that uh, that might be useful um but yeah i love painting i just What's haven't that? done it <laughs> haven't done it for so long um well i'm doing it right now <laughs> What, what what are you painting right at the second? I am painting right at the second I'm working on Tater. Uh, he's such a nice model. He is. He's uh, he's got his bag of spuds and his uh, and his his mighty nice hair. Did did I see that you've converted yours? Because this is the interesting thing. Yes, he had that that big scythe. Yeah, and I cut it down to a. As I like to say, a dirty hoe. Because from what I understand, now, keep in mind, I I have spent very little time outside of um, concrete jungles in my life. But from what I understand, you do not scythe potatoes because they don't grow on stems of some sort. But you dig them up from the ground often with a hoe, which I had to look up. And it turns out to be like a sideways shovel, um, which I suppose has some efficiency. And so I decided that since he was potato themed, perhaps he should have the appropriate tool. And also, I just suspected that that huge scythe on that little stick was going to be uh, was going to be a source of breakage. So I think that uh, I, I like my. A modified tater, even though it is a limited edition figure, and people sometimes screech when you convert a limited edition figure. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my choice. No, and I, I, th I think you're right to be uh, happy with it because I think it looks cracking. But just sort of conversions in general, while we're sort of talking about miniatures and the the, the physicalities thereof, um, it, they're not something I tend to do, mm -hmm. um, and. I know you 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 have a you have a you you have a much more kind of open attitude toward converting. Yeah. Um, is is there always a sort of thematic reason behind your conversions, or is it just that you think that is is it like your history as a sculptor? Do you think well, I can I do, that do that better? better. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I think like if I think back to the to the conversions that I've done for Gilball Miniatures, sometimes there's just a thing that I want to be different. And it's not, you know, it's little, a lot of times it's little things like I gave Ox a cleaver instead of an axe or um, I put the apron on Rage that he has in the concept art. Mm. Um, trying to think what some of the other 
little sculpts that I've done. Uh, just, I mean, just little things like that where I've decided that, that this person should be holding a different thing than the thing that they're holding kind of a thing. Or this person needs this bit of clothing. Like I gave Midas more prominent um, collar on his shirt because he was basically mm-hmm. wearing a collarless shirt. And I was like, Midas has got, you know, a fancy shirt on, you know, he's got, he needs a collar. So I just gave him, you know, collar points. So, you know, and it, it's a tiny little thing that no one will ever notice, but me, Yeah, but it's there. And it was just a thing where I said, I want this to be a little bit different. And, uh, and that's what I do. And, and sometimes, sometimes it's because I, I feel like getting out the, the epoxy and doing a little bit of sculpting. And then there's other figures where I will let something go because I just can't be asked with it right now. (laughs) (laughs) And it'd be like, yeah, this guy could really use a slightly different head, but uh, I don't want to do it. (laughs) I I mean, the the, the only sort of significant conversion I've really, well, my morticians, I've done a couple on there. Yeah. That uh, what's his name? Casket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I didn't much care for his head, mm-hmm. um, and his pose was a little bit awkward to me. So I gave him tenderizer's head, uh, following an hilarious mispack where my tenderizer came with two tenderizer bodies <laughs> and one one tenderizer tenderizer. Um, so I, I I had a bit of a a bit of a play. I mean, it took a while, but it. It shifted the the head looks great. It shifted his his stance a bit, so he's kind of looking out over his um, raised and twisted hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in what became his trailing hand, I gave him uh, one of Ox's axes, mm-hmm. just to kind of cement the hockey mask serial killer Jason slasher style thing. And the other one was actually uh, inspired by your good self, oh, yeah. uh, Cosette. Oh yeah, I really hacked up cassette. Yeah, I, I really, I, I really enjoy your your cassette conversion because you, was that based on a piece of fluff text? Yeah, there was a there was a line in the season one rule book where I think it was it was from Brick's perspective, and he had like just squashed uh, Dirge, and he, and it talked about cassette uh, kind of squaring up with him and clicking her claws, which I guess was just a fancy way to talk about her fingernails. But I was like, yeah, Cassette needs claws. So I went out on, on a on a hunt for, you know, sort of big like Edward Scissorhand yeah. uh, fingers that I could use for her. And uh, I found them in, in the Dark Age miniatures range was the ones that I was most happy with. Because the one, there's a, there's a figure in the uh, War Machine range that's got big claws like that, but but his hands were just too big. Mm. And Cossette is kind of a, a dainty uh, figure, so they, they just didn't work. But I found like some kind of harpies or something in the Dark Age range that had hands like that. And then I went on eBay and found a pack of them cheap. And so, yeah, I repositioned uh, her arms and, and kind of gave her these claws. And honestly, at this point, it's been so long, I kind of forget that that's a conversion. <laughs> <laughs> but it probably is the the most dramatic conversion that I've done of a uh, a Gilball miniature because it did kind of fundamentally change the the look and feel of the figure more than I think any other 
any other modification that I've done except maybe marbles. So I gave a completely new head to and a tail. Um, oh. you know, the more I think about this, the more work I think I've done that I just don't realize I've done. <laughs> <laughs> but no, my, my, my cosset, I, I took exception to her trident. Yes. Yeah. Because it just didn't feel very, um, if I, if I was a, a psychotic howling banshee, yeah. I'm not sure I would pick up the trident. So I <laughs> gave her a dagger. Um, yeah. and I really, I like the, the silhouette of, of cosset. Mm -hmm. She's, she's, she's got a nice. She's got a nice figure. She's got a nice silhouette. Um, so the swirly bits that attach to her hips, right. I decided to leave off. But of course, then there's like a little scoop to accommodate them. Mm -hmm. And then the strings that go around her hips mm -hmm. are missing underneath where they should adhere to. So I filled in the um, the sockets with a bit of milliput and then had to re essentially re-sculpt these tiny, tiny, thin little strings over the top of it. And it, I say it, it, it looks like I've just not bothered to stick them on, but there was a, a lot more work <laughs> went into it than that. Yeah. The subtle ones are always the ones that are the most work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she, she was a lot more work than than the sort of head of tenderizer, which was an absolute bitch to get off. Because... <laughs> um, <laughs> Tenderizer's a big boy. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I never sit down to do anything with the proper tools or or, or anything like that. So there was like a pair of fingernail probably, clippers. probably shouldn't have used a butter knife for that one. That was, you, know, <laughs> you made it a lot harder on yourself. <laughs> can't, can't help but think that I'm my own worst enemy. Low torch and a butter knife. That's that's one way to do conversions. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and it, it was, it, it, that was hard. It, I mean, it was physically, it was tough to do. And then, of course, you're left with a... A tiny little round head, and you're trying to file its neck flat. No, just a pain in the ass. Um, but the the the, the cosset one, which now just looks like I've not bothered to stick some bits on, um, and I've done a very sort of perfunctory weapon swap. <laughs> it's um, that 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 took ages. That thing. well, but you know, and now everybody else knows. So absolutely, we will, that's the we will give you appropriate credit from this point forward, but. All right, but I actually have to split. So as much as I love uh, having these conversations, um, my time has come. But I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, uh, all the conversations we have when you're not on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure. For Very Always good. an absolute we will, pleasure. Uh, we will see you soon, literally and figuratively. I cannot wait. All right, cannot my friend. Wait. All right, good buddy. We'll talk to Cheerio. you. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, and uh, we are we are back from uh, from some interviews there, and uh, ready to get into our Twitter questions, of course. Now, actually, I will say that uh, our news section was sort of an early Twitter question response because at Cretus had asked us uh, our thoughts on the uh, on the butcher's event, and uh, we decided to do that as news as opposed to a Twitter question. It seemed appropriate at the time. So you do kind of get a freebie in this one, but the first one that we're going to do on, on this side of the interviews is a question from Steve Price, who asked if there were any lineups we still wanted to try, but had not yet tried. And I know that there's definitely, there's one that I always meant to try and always wanted to try. 
And uh, Dan Donaldson here locally uh, from uh, the Kickoff Podcast, strangely enough. Uh, he kind of beat me to it and uh, named it Fat Camp, which was uh, <laughs> riotously funny. And that, of course, is the uh, the Brewers lineup where everybody is on a forty millimeter base. I've not I've not had the the occasion to play that yet. I still think it would be a certain kind of fun, and uh, I still want to play it. So uh, we will put that up there uh, on the board for. Uh, for one of my my near future games, I think, especially now that I've kind of remembered that I wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I like that setup. Um, I have I have never played. I have played against, but I've never played the uh, Wall of Meat Morticians lineup, and I'm not sure which way I'd want to go. Whether that's scalpel or uh, scalpel or obulus with that, but that's right. uh, that's an interesting lineup to me. Um, and to yeah, tell you the they truth, can, they can I'm, almost do the the forty millimeter team themselves too. Yeah, except for the captain. Except for the Thank captain, you. yeah. And um, so definitely, definitely one I would be interested in trying. Will I be able to get it in before season three? Probably not. Um, but who knows? I mean, I'm still working through my hunters right now, <laughs> and uh, I've never actually played fillet. And my alchemists have never hit the table because they're still in the process of being painted. Right. So, you know, that'll that'll be a whole great experience when they come shipping back and I have to, you know, learn alchemists as a as a single team, not like everybody else did, playing Midas first and then moving to smoke. Mm-hmm. So Well, I'm sure that there's some people who learn smoke first. Yeah, I I guess there's still <laughs> some new people coming in. I, I don't know. I, at the end of the day, I, this game, there's still so much to do in this game. Yeah. Um, even even me, who has complete faction ADD, guild ADD, I still haven't run through all my options. I mean, I still find, although it hasn't happened much lately with practicing, but I still find there's union lineups that I kind of look at and go, ooh. Yeah. You know, for example, I after hearing spoilers elsewhere, I'm really hoping that one day I can try out that lineup with Harry the Hat in it that actually, you know, plays like I'm playing a real game. <laughs> yeah, uh, there is a there is a I, I, I will say, uh, spoiler free, there is a an alchemist lineup that I am desperately <laughs> looking forward to playing in season three. <laughs> uh no, but I mean, I've kind of been in the same boat. You know, at this point, I've certainly played with every player, you know, every captain, every player at least once. But I, that, I've not had nearly enough time to to experiment with every combination therein. So have you played with every every player and every captain at least I have once? played with, well, let me rephrase that. I've played with every player I have painted. Okay. Except for, I think I have to take that back. I do have to take that back because there are a couple of the brand new mascots that I just finished a few weeks ago that I've not played. I've not played with the uh, Vile Swarm and I've not played with, um, who's it's uh, Truffles. Uh, because I just, I like, I don't get around to playing a player until they're painted kind of a thing. Right. But I so, mean, I did, I did some, I did some paper bolt dolls with the, uh, the new captains before they were released because there just seemed to be a lot more importance there. And I have paper dolled 
um, veteran catalyst. Not really paper doll. I use his, his old yeah, figure, his current but, one. but it's still you know we call it <clears throat> for for shorthand. But you know when it came to uh, mascots for teams that I don't play very often, it just hasn't uh, <laughs> hasn't quite happened yet. So, so generally speaking, I I've played almost every every player that is is available at the moment. Yeah, I have a very different experience on that. Um, I can also say, I. I, and I'll have to think about this. I think I have played every character that I have, or every player that I have painted. I'm 90% positive on that. Right. Um, however, my unpainted list and my motivation to paint some of the new, uh, some of the new players is much longer. For example, I've never played Filet or Corsair. Mm. Oh, you're missing um, some of Corsair, man. He is so much fun. Oh, oh I... I realize, and, and, you know, fish don't make my lineup often. In fact, I just, I mean, tell you about how far behind I am. Um, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I just finished, I just painted up Sakana and immediately rolled out for like the next two weeks and went, okay, give me a fish game because I want to play Sakana. And I played him twice and went, okay, yep, he does exactly what he does against me. I know how he works. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I haven't done Filet. I haven't played Corsair. I'm looking forward to that, but I'm not in a huge rush yeah. um, because butchers don't make the table for me as a team I play often. Right. And then fish don't either. Mm-hmm. Um I am uh, I am definitely I the only veteran I've played is Veteran Rage. I just haven't sat down to paint up the other veterans yet. Well, you've only had them for days. <laughs> yeah, well, very true, yeah. very true. So, but um, you know, I have uh, Veteran Graves and Veteran ve- Veteran Siren on my painting table, and right, uh, right. Graves will definitely uh, be making it out. Uh, Graves was one that I've only played a couple of times. Right. So, and uh, he kind of made it in, did exactly what I thought he was going to do, and I went, "Yep, okay, let me move him back out." <laughs> so, and uh, and uh, Cena just made Cena made my my roster with hunters, but I don't think Cena's coming back out. <laughs> like, like, like Cena seems to have solved a bunch of issues I was having with making my hunters work. Yeah. Fair so. enough. Fair enough. All right, so uh, that was uh, Steve Price's question. So our next our next question was from Chris Smith, who wants to know which model we would like to see for the 2017 limited edition figure. Oh, Flint. Yeah, Flint again. Flint again, definitely. Yeah. Um, you could right. you could have him running with this other leg out. <laughs> Or um, shirtless flint. Oh, oh man, I could use the shirtless flint right about now. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so uh, no, but in all seriousness, um, flint. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I mean, no. Has, okay. has nobody listened to the tagline on the show? You know, don't. Yeah. You know, when you leave us a, a four yeah. or five star review, just tell us how much you like flint. You, love, you know how much you love flint. The uh, the buffed flint. That's, uh, right. I mean. That was so. Uh, if I guess, I guess he means if we weren't to choose Flint, if we weren't okay. So if we had the handicap of not choosing the only obvious answer, right? Oh, that gets a little bit harder. Okay, so I think the one that I would want is even though he's dead now, uh, I always really, really, really liked Gast's concept art where he's standing 
sort of in a straight up pose with his with his saw kind of in front of him, held in both hands. Uh, that was just that was just one of the pieces of art from the from the Kickstarter era that I just adored. And so I think that were they to do uh, the Gast Memorial limited edition figure, <laughs> uh, I would be a, a very pleased uh, collector of said figure. Uh, I don't know anything else. What what strikes your fancy? You know what I would like to see is I would like to see a stabby action pose cassette. <laughs> Fair enough. Like just just you know witch of murder. Yeah. Or maybe there's a B in there somewhere. Uh, cassette depends on which side of the table you're on. <laughs> so. Well, I, I I suggest that they add claws to cassette. Um, <laughs> Seeing as how that's uh, that's what I did, so um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's another one who uh, I think could uh, could make a very fun, uh, a very fun limited edition, uh, yeah, release. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see uh, who uh, they end up going with. Uh, probably in just a few months. I mean, when is the first? Uh, when is the first big sanctioned event of twenty seventeen? You know, uh, will it be the sanction event or would it be salute? So I would assume we're, we're we'll know by either Adepticon or salute, right? Those yeah. are both in April, March, April. Yeah. So yeah. probably either at Adepticon or salute, we should know. So, uh, we will, uh, we will keep our eyes open for that one. But if it's not Flint, um, who cares? All right, so our next question was from Johan Govers, who asked how we would modify the game to play with a five-year-old. Now, I will say that a five-year-old is probably really pushing up against the the reality of uh, of you know the the attention span issue. I think uh, from my own parenting experience. Now, I will say that we know empirically. That eleven-year-olds can play the heck out of this game because very true. You know, one of my sons was um, giving me some some fine drubbings at the demo game at eleven, and of course, uh, Steve Newton's oh. son Jack was a uh, internationally uh, ranked. I think number two was as high as he got player at the age of eleven. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, Definitely, this is a game that that there comes a point where where youngsters can definitely get well and truly and firmly into into the game. But I think at five, uh, it's really all about what you take away, um, and that I think you've got to. Uh, you probably want to skip influence allocation and just give them their base. I think you probably need to skip momentum as a concept. Uh, take away character plays, take away traits, play the two by two, three player format, and um, maybe throw in the mascots because you know the kids are going to love the mascots because they're little critters. And then uh, use widgets. Absolutely use widgets. Widgets are going to make so much more sense to a young kid than tape measures. And, you know, let's start them off right. Uh, <laughs> You know, friends don't let friends use tape measures oh. and, you know, letting your children learn how to play war games with, uh, 
tape measures is child abuse. So, um, <laughs> I'm not sure you have many ways to be more wrong, but 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 I'm holding on to find out. All right, good. good. <laughs> well, about what specifically the tape measures or just everything in general? We're just going to go with everything in general right, for right now. Enough. You know, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> like, why narrow it down? Why narrow it down? So, I mean, that's, that, that's just an immediate... Like, if, if I had to give you a suggestion for playing the game, kind of in its most raw, most understandable form, it would be that. And then just introduce another concept every once in a while, right? Like, when, when, when the when the kids got that much of the game kind of under control, bring in a new idea, bring in influence allocation, you know, that bring in, uh, earning momentum maybe, but maybe not only spending it in, in like two or three ways. Uh, and ultimately this comes down to the kid because I mean, five years old, there's a lot of variation in what a five-year-old is, is really going to be able to, to, to uh, keep up with. So right. just uh, figure out what, what your little guy can do, or little gal, and uh, go with it. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's impossible. And I think that you could, you could definitely get, uh, get a kid down the path to becoming a... Uh, you know, a, a member of this hobby uh, that young. Uh, I was certainly playing some uh, Settlers of Catan type games with a, a handful of the the higher level uh, concepts sort of either streamlined or taken out with, with my kids when they were when they were that young. So there's so no, uh, no reason not to try. So you got any, uh, anything, any advice there, Bill? No, <laughs> I really don't. I, I just, well, you I'm game not... with your kids all the time. I would have expected you to have something to say. So, oh no, I got a lot to say. I have no advice. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> right. Very different. I, um, so I do play, I do game with my kids all the time. Keeping in mind that the child that still lives with me of the three is turning 18 in two weeks. Right. So, um, I, I had a lot of disappointments trying to encourage my children to start playing games young. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, by the time I got to my youngest, who is my biggest gamer of the three kids, she's the one that I tried, that I made the least effort to get involved and she came to gaming on her own. Where, you know, so my, my commentary is my experience and my commentary is about is, is based on my experience. My experience is don't do it. Just if they're interested, find ways to kind of engage with them somehow, but trying to teach any kid younger than 10, you know, any of the games, they're either going to pick it up or they're not. And trying to dumb games down to get kids interested is uh, a path to disappointment and, and just sadness. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, to this day, I still only play nerd games with my kids to the extent that they're interested in playing them. 
you know, it isn't you guys are going to sit down and play magic cards with daddy. It's more like, you know, I've got one kid who very much wants to play Machi Koro. Yep. And one kid who uh, would much rather play uh, PlayStation. So, uh, you know, you don't get to pick the games that your kid's going to like. So don't be too precious about teaching this one game to your kid. And that is a tough thing to do when it's a game you love. Yes, it is. Right. But also accept that adolescents are not going to be interested in what you're interested (laughs) in because that's how adolescence works. Right. So, uh, yeah, I would say get a deep shelf of games and hope for the best. (laughs) Well, and and again, this is why I say I I have no advice because, look, if you have a five-year-old who's interested in playing – jump into that show them whatever they want to play and look even if don't even try dumbing it down yeah see what they want to play and let them just play with the models yeah fair enough fair enough i mean it's it's a tough ask at five i think if he was asking about a 10 year old it would be a, a little bit different story but yeah you just gotta you just gotta do science on this one <laughs> yeah yeah and for some people it works out some people yeah. it doesn't i mean who knows he may have the uh the next great game developer growing up in his house there and go. uh he's gonna talk about you know mastering guild ball and being on the uh, world rankings by the time he was seven <laughs> or she was seven there you go somebody How fantastic could, uh, would that be little seven year old me feel even worse about myself that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> all right so um not uh let's see I, i'd say we we're going to give an honorable mention credit to um steamforge designer bryce johnston who who did ask us how many pints could pint pot pick if pint pot picked a pickled pint and i believe i got through that credibly uh <laughs> so very good i think we are going to uh we are going to call it a show right about there because we are uh, pushing up against that two-hour time zone, where uh, where I feel like the show's getting uh, getting a bit long. So we uh, we are going to call it a night. So Bill, thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, good night to our listeners. Indeed, indeed. See you next time. Knees up. Watch the nine. To join the conversation, comment on the show post at guildballtonight.com or email us at guildballtonight at gmail.com. Phil can also be heard on the Game Punting Podcast. Bill can also be heard on the Gamers Lounge Podcast. Check them out on iTunes. Also, feel free to give us five stars on iTunes. Every little bit helps. But when you do, don't write a review of the show. No. Instead... Just tell everybody why you love Flint so very much. Guild Ball is property of Steamforged Games Limited. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not represent the official position of Steamforged Games, Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems, Aperture Laboratories, or even the other hosts and guests. Dogs barking can't fly without umbrella. It is time once again for another installment of Ox's Poetry Corner. 
Rumors of my death might just turn out premature. Or, well, maybe not. Alright, so uh, we are back to uh, to uh, what we do uh, when we're not... Uh... Well, that was terrible. <laughs> Let's start that again. I have no idea what I was even going to say. <laughs> Apparently we're back to... Uh... We're back what, to me. What we do when we're not tr- doing things. We do what we do when we're not doing things. It makes perfect sense. It could that could fit any situation. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. <laughs>